Section 16 of Old New York by Edith Wharton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nancy Halper, Summit, New Jersey. Section 16. The Old Maid. Chapter 7. Delia Ralston sometimes felt that the real events of her life did not begin until both her children had contracted, so safely and suitably, their irreproachable New York alliances. The boy had married first, choosing a Vandergrave in whose father's bank at Albany he was to have an immediate junior partnership. And young Delia, as her mother had foreseen she would, had selected John Junius, the safest and soundest of the many young Halseys, and followed him to his parents' house the year after her brother's marriage. After young Delia had left the house in Gramercy Park, it was inevitable that Tina should take the center front of its narrow stage. Tina had reached the marriageable age. She was admired and sought after. But what hope was there of finding her a husband? The two watchful women did not propound this question to each other. But Delia Ralston, brooding over it day by day, and taking it up with her when she mounted at night to her bedroom, knew that Charlotte Lavelle, at the same hour, carried the same problem with her to the floor above. The two cousins, during their eight years of life together, had seldom openly disagreed. Indeed, it might almost have been said that there was nothing open in their relation. Delia would have had it otherwise. After they had once looked so deeply into each other's souls, it seemed unnatural that a veil should fall between them. But she understood that Tina's ignorance of her origin must at all costs be preserved and that Charlotte Lavelle, abrupt, passionate, and inarticulate, knew of no other security than to wall herself up in perpetual silence. So far had she carried this self-imposed reticence that Mrs. Ralston was surprised at her suddenly asking, soon after young Delia's marriage, to be allowed to move down into the small bedroom next to Tina's that had been left vacant by the bride's departure. But you'll be so much less comfortable there, Chatty. Have you thought of that? Or is it on account of the stairs? No, it's not the stairs, Charlotte answered with her usual bluntness. How could she avail herself of the pretext Delia offered her, when Delia knew that she still ran up and down the three flights like a girl? It's because I should be next to Tina, she said, in a low voice that jarred like an untuned string. Oh, very well, as you please. Mrs. Ralston could not tell why she felt suddenly irritated by the request, unless it were that she had already amused herself with the idea of fitting up the vacant room as a sitting room for Tina. She had meant to do it in pink and pale green, like an opening flower. Of course, if there is any reason, Charlotte suggested, as if reading her thought, none whatever, except that, well, I'd meant to surprise Tina by doing the room up as a sort of little boudoir where she could have her books and things and see her girlfriends. You're too kind, Delia, but Tina mustn't have boudoirs, Miss Lavelle answered ironically, the green specks showing in her eyes. Very well, as you please, Delia repeated in the same irritated tone. I'll have your things brought down tomorrow. Charlotte paused in the doorway. You're sure there's no other reason? Other reason? Why should there be? The two women looked at each other almost with hostility, and Charlotte turned to go. 
The talk once over, Delia was annoyed with herself for having yielded to Charlotte's wish. Why must it always be she who gave in? She who, after all, was the mistress of the house, and to whom both Charlotte and Tina might almost be said to owe their very existence, or at least all that made it worth having. Yet whenever any question arose about the girl, it was invariably Charlotte who gained her point, Delia who yielded. It seemed as if Charlotte, in her mute, obstinate way, were determined to take every advantage of the dependence that made it impossible for a woman of Delia's nature to oppose her. In truth, Delia had looked forward more than she knew to the quiet talks with Tina, to which the little boudoir would have lent itself. While her own daughter inhabited the room, Mrs. Ralston had been in the habit of spending an hour there every evening, chatting with the two girls while they undressed, and listening to their comments on the incidents of the day. She always knew beforehand exactly what her own girl would say. But Tina's views and opinions were a perpetual, delicious shock to her. Not that they were strange or unfamiliar. There were moments when they seemed to well straight up from the dumb depths of Delia's own past. Only they expressed feelings she had never uttered, ideas she had hardly avowed to herself. Tina sometimes said things which Delia Ralston, in far-off self-communions, had imagined herself saying to Clement Spender. And now there would be an end to these evening talks. If Charlotte had asked to be lodged next to her daughter, might it not conceivably be because she wished them to end? It had never before occurred to Delia that her influence over Tina might be resented. Now the discovery flashed a light far down into the abyss which had always divided the two women. But a moment later Delia reproached herself for attributing feelings of jealousy to her cousin. Was it not rather to herself that she should have ascribed them? Charlotte, as Tina's mother, had every right to wish to be near her, near her in all senses of the word. What claim had Delia to oppose to that natural privilege? The next morning, she gave the order that Charlotte's things should be taken down to the room next to Tina's. That evening, when bedtime came, Charlotte and Tina went upstairs together. But Delia lingered in the drawing-room, on the pretext of having letters to write. In truth, she dreaded to pass the threshold, where evening after evening the fresh laughter of the two girls used to waylay her, while Charlotte Lavelle already slept her old maid sleep on the floor above. A pang went through Delia, at the thought that henceforth she would be cut off from this means of keeping her hold on Tina. An hour later, when she mounted the stairs in her turn, she was guiltily conscious of moving as noiselessly as she could along the heavy carpet of the corridor, and of pausing longer than was necessary over the putting out of the gas jet on the landing. As she lingered, she strained her ears for the sound of voices from the adjoining doors behind which Charlotte and Tina slept. She would have been secretly hurt at hearing talk and laughter from within. But none came, nor was there any light beneath the doors. Evidently Charlotte, in her hard, methodical way, had said good night to her daughter and gone straight to bed as usual. Perhaps she had never approved of Tina's vigils, of the long undressing punctuated with mirth and confidences. She might have asked for the room next to her daughter's simply because she did not want the girl to miss her beauty sleep. 
Whenever Delia tried to explore the secret of her cousin's actions, she returned from the adventure humiliated and abashed by the base motives she found herself attributing to Charlotte. How was it that she, Delia Ralston, whose happiness had been open and avowed to the world, so often found herself envying poor Charlotte the secret of her scanted motherhood? She hated herself for this movement of envy whenever she detected it, and tried to atone for it by a softened manner and a more anxious regard for Charlotte's feelings. But the attempt was not always successful, and Delia sometimes wondered if Charlotte did not resent any show of sympathy as an indirect glance at her misfortune. The worst of suffering such as hers was that it left one sore to the gentlest touch. Delia, slowly undressing before the same lace-draped toilet glass which had reflected her bridal image, was turning over these thoughts when she heard a light knock. She opened the door, and there stood Tina, in a dressing gown, her dark curls falling over her shoulders. With a happy heartbeat, Delia held out her arms. I had to say good night, Mama, the girl whispered. Of course, dear. Delia pressed a long kiss on her lifted forehead. Run off now, or you might disturb your aunt. You know she sleeps badly, and you must be as quiet as a mouse now she's next to you. Yes, I know, Tina acquiesced, with a grave glance that was almost of complicity. She asked no further question. She did not linger. Lifting Delia's hand, she held it a moment against her cheek, and then stole out as noiselessly as she had come. End of section 16. Recording by Nancy Halper, Summit, New Jersey.